0: The Bible is, of course, God's word to us, so let's pray and ask him to help us understand what he's saying. Let's pray. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us your word, the Bible. Do please give us wisdom now to understand what you are saying to us and help us to conform our lives to what you want for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. At uh, at some points in church history, it was dangerous to be a heretic, a a, a false teacher. That was the time, for example, of Queen Mary in England. If you were a Protestant minister in the time of Queen Mary of England, you were considered to be a heretic, teaching falsely. And the penalty? The penalty was to be burnt at the stake. People took heresy pretty seriously. Uh, At many points in church history, heretics have been excommunicated. They've been thrown out of the church. Uh, One of the most famous times of excommunication was in the 1300s. There was a a pope who some of the cardinals thought was a heretic. His name was Pope Urban VI. So what the cardinals did, they appointed a new pope, Pope Clement VII. Uh, Clement then excommunicated Urban for being a heretic. Trouble was, Urban uh, refused to acknowledge the authority of the cardinals and so he excommunicated Clement back again. Uh, Sounds funny, except there were great wars that were fought over all of this over the next uh, 50 or 60 years. Eventually, to cut a long story short, a church council was appointed and another pope was uh, was appointed, uh, Alexander V. Uh, He excommunicated the other two popes, who were by this time successors of Urban and Clement, But of course they then excommunicated Alexander in return. And so at this time in the early 1400s you had three popes all excommunicating each other with the nations behind them at war. Sounds a little bit silly but the point is historically heresy was taken very, very seriously and had extraordinary and wide-ranging consequences. At this stage the whole of Europe was, uh, was up in arms as a result of it. But in in more modern times, the concept of heresy, it's it's a bit out of fashion. Um, Many people today don't believe there is such a thing. People say religion is a matter of opinion. There's no true or false teaching. You've got your view, I've got mine. And all our opinions are equally valid. You can't say to me that uh, Muhammad is better than Jesus, any, any better than you can say to me that jam is better than honey or red is better than blue or something like that. And so in, mo- in the modern way of thinking, you mustn't go around labelling people as heretics. You mustn't ever tell people that they're, that they're wrong or, or their teaching or their ideas are false. You certainly shouldn't be excommunicating anybody or, or punishing them for their religious views or teachings. That, people say, would be arrogant and unloving and the worst sin of all, intolerant? What do you think? Are there true and false teachings about religion? If so, does it matter? And is there anything that we should do about it? This morning we begin our new series looking at this part of the Bible called 1 Timothy. And as you you look at it, the first thing I hope you notice is that 1 Timothy is a letter. You know, one of those things that people used to write before there were emails and SMSs. Uh, This uh, letter, it's written by the Apostle Paul. Now those of us who were here last year, we got to know the Apostle Paul a fair bit, didn't we, as we worked through the book of Acts. We saw that he is a recognised apostle, personally appointed by Jesus Christ as his authorised and faithful messenger. Chapter 1 and verse 1 of 1 Timothy. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the command of God our Saviour and of Christ Jesus our hope. There's our author and he's writing to Timothy. You might remember Timothy as well from last year in the book of Acts. He's a bloke from Lystra in modern day Turkey. His mum is a Jewish Christian, his dad is a Greek Uh, The church in Lystra was really positive about Timothy so one time when Paul visited there he asked him if he'd he'd come along with him on his missionary trips. Uh, Timothy said yes, with fairly strong consequences for those of you who remember Acts chapter 16 Uh, but from then on they became partners uh, like a father and a son working together. In verse 2 Paul addresses Timothy and uh, he wishes him grace and mercy and peace from God. That God will be gracious, merciful, give him peace. Verse 2. To Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace, mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. That's who he's writing, that's who he's writing to. Now we get the reason why Paul is writing to Timothy. And it's all got to do with false teaching. False teaching in uh, this, this uh, city called Ephesus. Uh, Paul has left Timothy there in Ephesus to deal with some false teachers. He has to, he has to command them to stop it to stop false teaching, to stop focusing on made-up stories and, uh, and family trees. Verse 3. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain men not to teach false doctrines any longer, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Uh, Timothy has to stop the false teaching, the, the heresy, because Paul says it's not furthering God's work now, God's work, God's plan, is that people put their faith in Jesus. But that's not what these false teachers are encouraging. They're instead encouraging speculations and controversies and arguments. So halfway through verse 4, these, that's uh, the false doctrines, endless genealogies, these promote controversies rather than God's work, which is by faith. Timothy has to stop the false teaching and the goal, the goal is, to enlo- is to encourage Christian love in the church. Verse 5. This is important, this one. Verse 5. The goal of this command, that's to stop the false teaching, is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Let's just pause there for a couple of minutes and notice a couple of things. Because, Firstly, can you see the way Christian love works in verse 5? It comes from a pure heart, a good conscience and a sincere faith. How does that work? You start off with your sincere faith. You rely on the Lord Jesus. You ask him to, to forgive you and to be your king. When you do that, the Bible says we receive a pure heart, a new heart from God. Once we receive a new heart then we know in our consciences that we stand right with God. Nothing to be guilty about anymore. We have a good conscience. And then it's Flowing out of that, our trust in Jesus, which means we have a pure heart and a good conscience, flowing out of that, we therefore love. We love God because he has first loved us. We love God's people because he has first loved us. We love other people because God has first loved us. We've got to get that order straight. The love flows from the pure heart, good conscience, sincere faith. A Second, notice what verse 5 means for false teaching. Christian love starts with faith in Jesus. So we've got to know the truth about Jesus. We've got to know who he is, what he has done. If you don't get taught the true message about Jesus, you can't rely on him. You can't receive the pure heart and the good conscience. And so you won't love God as you should. If you think about it, that means if we want to promote love, we need to stop heresy. Did you get it? If we want to promote Christian love, we need to stop false teaching. That's what verse 5 is saying, isn't it? The goal of Paul's command to Timothy to stop the false teaching is to promote love. It doesn't exactly match up with modern thinking, does it? Very few people today would say that prohibiting false teaching promotes love. Very few people today would say that, uh, that telling people their teachings are false is the way that you promote love. People today say that's arrogant, it's unloving, it's intolerant. But can you see from this little verse here why they're wrong? Love has got to come out of knowing the Lord Jesus, the truth about the Lord Jesus, trusting in him. If you don't know the truth, you can't love the way God wants. And so to promote love, we've got to stop false teaching. Paul then goes on to talk more about the error of the false teachers in Ephesus. It's got something to do with the Jewish law, you know, the, the law of Moses, that's talking about the Ten Commandments, all the other 603-odd commandments that, that you can find in the Old Testament. The false teachers, Paul says, are not using the Jewish law properly. Now, I see it in verse 6. Some have wandered away from these, that is love coming from pure heart, good conscience, sincere faith, wandered away from these and turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law but they do not know what they are talking about or what they so confidently affirm. We know that the law is good if one uses it properly. Now, The false teachers aren't using God's law properly and it's because they don't realise one key thing. Here it is. It's actually very simple if you think about it. But God did not give his law to righteous people. To the sort of people who can obey it. No. God gave his law to sinful, rebellious people. God gave his law to people who can't and won't obey it. God gave his Ten Commandments to people who keep on breaking the Ten Commandments. And that's what Paul says, verse 9. We also know that law is made not for the righteous, but for lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious, for those, and now I'll start thinking about the Ten Commandments, who kill their fathers or mothers for murderers, for adulterers and perverts, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine that conforms to the glorious gospel of the blessed God which he entrusted to me. This is critical for us to get. Let me me try to say what this means. When you realise that God gave his law to people who can't obey it, then that helps you to see that any way that you try to use the law assuming that people can obey it is improper. Did you get that? If you realise that God gave his law to people who can't obey it, then any kind of use of God's law that assumes they can obey it is an improper use. Let me try to illustrate. If my wife gives me a toolbox, she knows that it's not going to be used for fixing things. I am utterly incompetent and cannot fix anything. If my wife gives me a toolbox, she knows that what she is in fact giving me is a doorstop. Uh, if I give my two-year-old a book, I know that it is not going to be used for reading. My two-year-old can't read. So if I give my two-year-old a book, I know that I am in fact giving him a weapon with which to hit his brothers. <laughs> Knowing something about the person that you're giving it to impacts the reason you're giving it. Do you, see? Do you see how that works? God gave his law to people who he knows cannot obey, who knows can cannot obey it. That's right. He gave the law to people who cannot obey it. And so he's obviously not giving the law to people saying now go and obey it and get yourselves to heaven. He can't be. He knows what he's doing. He's giving it to people who can't obey it. And so there's got to be a different reason why God gave his law. Do you get the point? To use the law as if, as if you can obey it is to use it improperly. That's what the false teachers were doing. Because God gave the law to people who cannot obey it. The false teachers in Ephesus didn't get that. And so they used the law improperly. They were telling people, I guess, you've got to be Jewish. You've got to obey God's laws. You've got to to keep the Ten Commandments and you go to heaven. Something like that. So then, what's the proper use of God's law? Paul doesn't say directly. Instead he answers the question by, by telling us his own story. And notice, it's not a story of a nice person who obeys God's law. It's a story about a sinner who finds a saviour. Verse 12. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength that he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Paul found a saviour. And so he goes on to give Tim- Timothy-, Timothy some true teaching, some trustworthy teaching, some teaching that, that everybody should everybody should accept. Not, not that Christians are nice people who follow rules and, and keep rules, but that Christ saves sinners. Verse 15 Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom, says Paul, I am the worst. And then he says, part of the reason Jesus saved me is to set an example, an example that Jesus is patient with sinners, an example that we should have faith in Jesus, an example that we can't get eternal life by obeying law but through trusting in Jesus, through faith in him. Verse 16, For that very reason I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Jesus gives sinners eternal life. It's good reason to praise God. Verse 17, in the words that we sang earlier, Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honour and glory forever and ever. Amen. The false teachers are using God's law improperly. They're telling sinners who can't obey God's law to obey it. But Paul knows they can't do it. He knows what we really need is not law but a saviour. That's what he himself found in Jesus. So now let's try to read between the lines. What is the law good for? What is a proper use of the law? And to start with we've got to say that it points us to the Lord Jesus, to the need for a sincere faith, to the need for for a pure heart and a good conscience so that we can love. As we look at God's law, we ought to see how far short we fall. We ought to realise that we are in deep trouble. We ought to realise we desperately need a Saviour. I hope that you're clear on this. The Christian message is not saying to you, obey the Ten Commandments, and you'll get to heaven. It's not saying to you, follow the Sermon on the Mount and you'll get to heaven. The Christian message is saying that you and I are sinners and rebels. The Christian message is saying that you and I can be rescued through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Now, yes, once we're saved, given the pure heart, given the good conscience, we will love, and that that will involve trying to obey God's law. But it's always the response of a saved sinner. It's always got to be bathed in grace. When we're talking about obedience to God, it's always got to flow from from faith in Christ and the good conscience he gives. And so Paul finishes by saying to Timothy, he says, that's what you've got to stick with. Faith, a good conscience. Now he refers to a prophecy that was made to Timothy. A prophet had obviously spoken to Timothy and and, uh, said to him, you need to rely on Jesus. You need to receive the good conscience that Jesus gives. And Paul says, you better do what that prophet said. Verse 18... Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you or to you so that by following them you may fight the good fight holding on to, notice, to faith and a good conscience. And then Paul reminds Timothy about two blokes who who, who didn't do it, who didn't stick with it and uh, Paul had to throw them out of the church back out into Satan's world. Halfway through verse 19, Some have rejected these and so have shipwrecked their faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander whom I've handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. So there's chapter 1 of 1 Timothy. Summarise, um, Paul wants Timothy to stick with the true message about Jesus. He wants to stop the false teaching because that is vital for the, the present health and the eternal health of the church and so that's why he's writing the letter to help Timothy to stick with it and stop the false teaching. Okay, so let's, uh, let's then come back to the questions that we started with. Are there such things as true and false teaching? Answer, absolutely. Yes, there are. There is a true message. Christ came into the world to save sinners. If we rely on him, we receive eternal life. We're given pure heart, good conscience. We're set free to love God and people. That is, that is trustworthy teaching. That is true teaching. That is the sort of teaching that deserves deserves full acceptance, universal acceptance. Everyone ought to believe that because it is true. But if that's true, then there is also false teaching, heretical teaching, teaching that encourages people to do other than rely on Jesus, teaching that says rely on yourself or rely on law or follow some idol, some God other than the God revealed in Jesus. Heresy is possible. False teaching is possible. And you look at this passage and it does matter. Christ came into the world to save sinners, to give people eternal life. Follow false teachers like those teachers in Ephesus. Think that you're going to obey God yourself and get yourself to heaven. You will not receive eternal life. I I can't imagine how anything could matter more than that. Can you? Eternity is a long, long time. Heresy is possible and it matters. The big question is, what should we do about it? And that, unfortunately, is where things start to get a bit complicated. Because we're not Timothy. We haven't been appointed by an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ to stop false teaching in Chatswood or Lane Cove or wherever we happen to be. We don't have that direct mandate here in this letter. And I'm sure I can speak for you as well as for me. We're all very fallible. We get things wrong. And um, I was trying to hint at this at the beginning. Human relationships are full of all kinds of vested interests. Some people get get called heretics when they are not heretics. It's just that their party doesn't happen to be in power or, or they didn't happen to have the charisma to pass off their views or something. It's vitally important that we stop false teaching but we haven't been personally appointed by God to do it and we can get it wrong. So then what are we going to do about false teaching today? Given that it's, it's so vital that it be stopped, what are we going to do? Well, um, different Christian denominations try to deal with the issue in different ways. In Roman Catholic and Anglican churches the matter is left to bishops. Now they argue that Timothy is an early form of a bishop Uh, He's been given authority by the Apostle Paul and they say that authority continues to be passed down by a process called apostolic succession. And so today the bishop has the authority to deal with false teaching. Um, In congregational churches and Baptist churches the authority is left with congregations themselves. Congregations have to vote on whether someone's teaching is false or not. Uh, Congregations have to vote on what they're going to do about it. In the Presbyterian Church we have established special courts to deal with false teaching. Uh, Warren and, and John and I are responsible to uh, a group of ministers and elders called the Presbytery of Sydney North. If we are teaching heresy, uh, you should report us to the Presbytery. And the Presbytery has power to discipline us. Now, different churches have developed different ways to try to keep teachers accountable. And Can you see from this chapter in 1 Timothy, that is, that is right and good and very important. God's people need to be protected from false teaching. False teachers need to be stopped, even excommunicated. Although my own view is that burning them at the stake is perhaps a little bit on the, uh, on the extreme side. It is right for churches to have systems of accountability for false teachers. Unfortunately, in reality, the systems are very, very flawed. Now, you don't need to know too many bishops to know that they are often the worst heretics of the lot. You don't need to have sat in too many congregational meetings to realise that congregations can be led astray on what is true and false teaching. And you don't have to sit in too many presbytery meetings to realise that they are full of timidity and pride and vested interests. Denominations can try and ought to try to do what Paul is saying here to Timothy, to stop false teaching, to protect God's people, but ultimately when it comes to false teaching, you and I have got to take responsibility for ourselves. That's just where it ends up. We've got to work hard ourselves to evaluate the teaching we hear to protect ourselves. And this passage today can help us in two important ways as we do that, as we try to evaluate what we're hearing. Firstly, we see here the benchmark for true teaching. That's the teaching of Jesus' own authorised apostles, the teaching we find in God's own word, the Bible. That's where we find trustworthy teaching that deserves full acceptance. And so what we've got to do, week by week, month by month, is make sure that the teaching we are hearing from me or Warren or whoever is matching up with what God is teaching in the Bible. Now I know I say this over and over and over again, but in this church we want to make that as easy for you as possible. And so each week the preacher will preach from the Bible. Now apart from our short summer series, our little aberration there, we, we, we work our way systematically through books of the Bible. We self-consciously read the Bible out to you as ponderous as it may seem and we show you how what we are saying is coming out of what God is saying in the Bible. It's deliberate to help you to be able to discern for yourself if it's true. And then, and hear the very strong advertisement here, then there is Bible study. In Bible study, you get the chance to look at what we are looking at in church together in a group. That is a really helpful thing. It's a helpful thing To get to know people it's a helpful thing to to think more and harder about the Bible but it's also a really helpful thing for you not to get led astray by someone rabbiting on on a Sunday. Can Can I warmly encourage you, join a Bible study this year. On the back of your order of service you can see where and when they are for this year. And this week they start, so now is the time to join. I think we've got less than half our people in a Bible study. I reckon we should change that around, get everybody into a Bible study. Also at the end of the talk outline there you can see what's coming up for next week and uh, that gives you a chance to read ahead and prepare yourself. It's all, it's all meant to help you to discern for yourself the truth or error of what is being taught. Okay, So it's got to conform with the apostolic message. The second thing this passage reminds us is that all Christian teaching has to be grounded in the message about Jesus. It's got to be encouraging you to rely on Jesus so you can be saved so you can have eternal life, so you can be set free to love God with a pure heart and see faith, a good conscience. Yes, week by week I hope you are challenged to obey God, to love God. Yes, week by week I hope you, you feel, if not guilty, like you are falling short and you've got to work harder to, to, to trust and obey God. But Christian moral teaching has always got to be bathed in grace. Never accept the sort of teaching that says you've got to obey God in order to be right with him or be better with him or have a better relationship with him. It's got to start with Jesus and his grace to us alone. Every week it's got to be Jesus died for you, you're right with him if you trust in him. You can't get righter with him if you trust in him. Now, go and love. That's what we've got to be looking for. and We've got to be evaluating it every week for our own protection. And then, final point. And then if we are hearing false teaching, well we need to consider our options. If you think someone is teaching false things, if you think I am teaching you something false, you ought to tell me. You ought to tell whoever it is. You ought to take your Bible with you. I'm not very interested in hearing I didn't like that, but I'm interested in hearing look with me at the Bible, show me the Greek if you can. This is why you are wrong. If I don't repent, or the teacher doesn't repent, then you've got decisions to make. Now maybe it's best to let it pass. Okay, I've got the past participle instead of the future indicative or something like that. Alright, no big deal. I'll just let it pass. I mean no one gets everything right all the time. But maybe it means you need to change church. Take people with you. Go to a church where the truth is being taught. Or maybe you need to take action to stop the false teaching. You need to speak to an elder. And think about taking it to Presbytery. you need to get onto a bishop if you can find one, you won't find one here, if you're in another church perhaps you will. You've got to take action not just for your own protection but for the protection of other people because, because heresy matters. People are precious and they can be led astray. So, let's conclude. Paul left Timothy with the job of stopping the false teachers in Ephesus so that people could be taught the truth about Jesus. From that we can see that false teaching is possible, profoundly dangerous. And so we've got to get on board with Timothy. We've got to fight the good fight. Hold on to the message about God's grace to us in Jesus alone. Make sure that's what we're being taught. Because, Because Jesus alone can save us and give us eternal life. Let's pray. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you that you love us. That you have given Jesus to die and rise again for us and that you save sinners. Our Heavenly Father, we pray for each person here today. Please never help never um, let us think that we can make ourselves right with you by our obedience. Never, please let us think that we are good enough to get to heaven. Help us instead to like to like Paul recognize that we fall way short of your standards and trust in Christ alone so that we can be rescued and given eternal life. We pray for all teaching that happens here in 2007 in this church, that it will be true teaching, focused on the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and encouraging people to trust in him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.